article I learned about uh, that these planets are orbiting this star, and they're believed to be in what's called the habitable zone. So it's not doesn't get too hot or too cold uh, for the possibility uh, that life could be there. And even more interesting is the thing that this that this sun and these planet or planets are 300 light years away. Now, in case you're wondering, a light year is the distance it takes for light to travel in one of our years. And this equals to roughly about 5.88 trillion miles. So if we left today on the fastest spacecraft, which happens to be the Juno probe, which is orbiting Jupiter right now, so, well, we'll just pretend, uh, it was clocked at 165,000 uh, miles per hour, the time that it would take to travel 300 light years traveling at 165,000 miles per hour would actually be 1,220,423 years. So the chances of us getting there are not good at all. Now I know what you're going to say. Nick, can't you get me into something with a little more speed? Absolutely I can. Because in 2024... The Parker Solar Probe is set to launch, so we'll just kind of take it a little early. And that is supposed to be able to travel at 430,000 miles per hour. So we might be able to get to this solar system or star 300 light years away in only about 468,302 years. So I hope there's enough room for there to be like a generational ship. It's going to be a long time to get there. Now, maybe you're thinking, couldn't we just get to a star that's a little bit closer than 300 light years away? No problem. We're going to do it because Alpha Centauri has three different stars, and Alpha Centauri C is the, probably the closest one at about 4.24 light years away. Sound a little bit better, right? Well, if we're using the Juno probe, it'll only take us about 17,000 years to get there. But if we're going to hijack the Parker Solar Probe like our our original plan was, uh, it'll take us 6,618 years. So I guess we're starting today, right? It's fun to think about these things that are millions and hundreds of thousands or at best thousands of years away for us. You know, thanks scientists for finding that. Is there any like word on the coronavirus cure coming at all? No. Okay. Um, but this helps us think about the bigness of God which should humble us because this infinite, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent God knows us and everyone where we live right here on planet Earth. Now, this bigness of God can be difficult to comprehend, especially in comprehending how he knows everyone fully. Um, so we're going to just try to give it a shot to, to expand our minds a little bit. God knows all seven uh, seven, uh, billion, 7.8 billion people on the earth, which is great because, uh, at any given time, uh, we're talking estimated numbers here. We have no idea the actual number of people on earth because we're constantly losing and gaining people in the human race. But let's say you wanted to count all 7,800,000,000 people. If you could count every single person for one, uh, just each number for one second, uh, which would be tough in it itself because of very long numbers, uh, it would only take you about 247 years to do that. So get started today. It's going to take you a long time. 
Now imagine that you wanted to spend 10 seconds with each person just trying to get to know something about them. And yet, God knows each one of us. The estimated 7.8 billion, and he knows the exact number of people on earth. In fact, he knows the exact number of people who have ever lived, because once again, we only have estimates of everyone throughout all time to have ever lived on earth, and people estimated somewhere around 113 billion people. God knows that exact number, and he knows everything about each one of those people. It's awesome that he knows all about those people that have ever existed in the world and that are existing right now in the world. But what does that mean for you? Well, let's focus in on you and we'll start in your family tree, okay? Let's talk about your great-great-great-grandma. So that's your great-grandmother's grandmother. What was her name? When was she born? What was her favorite color? How many children did she have? Maybe some of you can go back dozens or so generations because you've researched your ancestry, but you likely only have names, dates of birth and death. You don't know what they were like, what they were into, who their friends were, what made them sad, what it sounded like when they laughed. And yet we live in a reality that God knew them. God knew everything about them. When we read scripture genealogies like David's descendants found in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, well, we're actually going to look at that really quick because I think this is a good exercise for us to just kind of read and good for me too because I uh, was practicing these names. I doubt I'll get all of them right. But 1 Chronicles chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says this. We're looking, now we're looking at a genealogy of David. So let's go back to uh, Jacob. Uh, uh, later uh, renamed Israel. So these are the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, these three, Bathsheba, the Canaanite, bore to him. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. His daughter-in-law Tamar, who also bore Perez and Zerah, Judah had five sons in all. So maybe some of you are kind of tracking. You're like, yeah, we've, we kind of know these stories. We know the genealogies a little bit. Okay, so let's keep going. The sons of Perez, Hezron and Hamel, the sons of Zerah, Zemir, Ethan, Heman, Calcol, and Dera, five in all, the sons of Carmi, Achan, and the, the troubler of Israel who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing, and Ethan's son was Azariah. The sons of Hezron that were born to him, Jeremiel, Ram, Chalubai. Ram fathered Aminadabad, and Aminadabad fathered Nashon, prince of the sons of Judah. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, a name some of us recognize. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab the second, Shemiah the third, Nathaniel. Nethanel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozem the sixth, David the seventh. And their sisters were Zariah and Abigail. So maybe you learned something. David had two sisters. There you go. You're welcome. The sons of Zariah were Abishai, Joab, and Ashiel, three. Abigail bore Amasa. The father of Amasa was Jether the Ishmaelite. 
we're just getting started. There's a whole book where we can just keep going and going and going and listening to these names or me reading them badly, right? But when we read these genealogies in Scripture, we aren't just reading names. Just like when you look up your ancestry, you're not just reading names and dates of birth and where they're born. We are reading about people who God knew everything about. And when we are reading these genealogies, we should be comforted and humbled that God knows His people. I was talking with Mike earlier and he said he was reading numbers with his kids and it's like, you know, all these different things are going these different places in these different tribes. That's not just to say and, and give a census and count the people. It's for God to communicate. He knows us. Everything about us. We read these names as a list, but God knew each one of these people. And He knows us going back generations and generations. He knows those in your family who came before you. He knows you. And as our Scripture reading from Luke 12 reminded us, He knows every hair on our head. Now there are anywhere from 900,000 to 150,000 hairs on your head, and He knows and has counted each one of them. Now the Bible isn't telling us this to teach us that God is interested in hair or in names and lists of names of people. The Scripture teaches us to show that He is interested and knows everything about us. Who you are. What makes you tick. Your family history. What makes you angry? What brings you joy? He knows all of those things in rich and vibrant color. He knows you. In John chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus is, is calling some of his disciples uh, to follow him. And uh, Nathaniel kind of comes into the picture here. And it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Isn't that a great question? How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. I knew you. I know you. I know everything about you. In, here, in, in you there is no deceit. God knows our character qualities. He knows our character shortfalls. He knows where we need to grow. He knows where uh, the strengths that he can use to grow his kingdom. Jesus sees Nathaniel. Jesus knows him. And because we are so known by God, that presents a challenge for us. A challenge that Jesus gives to Nathaniel that we'll look at a little bit later, and he gives to us. So let's take a look at John 10, starting in verse 11. John 10, verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Just scan down to verse 27. Jesus continues, My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you need help spotting the challenge, the challenge is in verse 14, where he says, my, uh, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So the questions for us are, do we know Jesus? Do we hear his voice? Are we following him? These are all consequences of being known, fully known by God, that we would know him, that we would hear his voice, and that we would follow him. One of my favorite all-time quotes, I've probably said it here before, is from A.W. Tozer. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is what comes into your mind first that he's a God who fully knows you? That he knows all of your best and worst moments, thoughts, and attitudes? That he knows all of the things about you? And listen close. He loves you. He knows all of the things about you. And he loves you. If that's the thought that comes into our mind about God, that should propel us to know him more and more. To strive to know God with the same, or try to try to know God with the same amount of knowledge that He knows about us, isn't that a lifelong task worthy of someone who fully knows us? God, you know us completely, so I'm going to go after you, and I'm going to learn everything, and know everything, and know you as much as you know me. What an invitation! He's not a God who is distant. He's not a God who could care less. He's not a God who has no interest in you. He's the God who sits across from you and says, I know you, now I want you to know me. When you are reading scriptures and listening to his voice, you should be asking, what does this tell me about God? What am I learning right now about who God is? How does this help me know who God is? What have I learned about God in this passage? So if you're, if you're feeling stuck in reading Scripture, maybe just start there. And I want to get to know God better. And you read something and you just ask, what have I learned about God in these passages of Scripture? Another challenge uh, is getting to know God more. Uh, and, and we also do that when we're following Him. In college, I had knee surgery. And when I had the consultation with the doctor, I asked him how many surgeries like this he has done. And he responded that he had done over 700. He's written articles in medical journals and given lectures all around the world on this procedure. And he's, he was also the surgeon that Michael Jordan trusted when he needed surgery. I'm glad I got that guy. But if I couldn't get that guy, I would probably want the person who was learning from him and following him around, right? Some of you might remember there was a funny AT&T commercial that was on a little while ago where a doctor is about to come into a patient's room and he's shouting down the hall, guess who just got reinstated? That is not the doctor you want to see, right? You want the doctor that has followed around and learned.
from other great doctors that have been in surgeries and have seen things and have been around and have learned from the best. And that's another way that we get to know God when we're following Him. When we're doing what He asks us to do. When we're being obedient. When we're exhibiting fruits of the Spirit. When we're imitating the character of Jesus when we're living like Jesus and we're serving the way Jesus served, we're getting to know Him better and better. We start to have those faces that shine like Moses. We look different because we're following God and we're knowing God. We're in the presence of God. We're looking more and more like Him because we are knowing Him more and more. One challenge today is to take a look at your life and ask, does me understanding that God fully knows me challenge challenge me to know Him? Am I making this a goal? Am I working towards this? Am I trusting and believing as the God who knows me that He wants me to know Him and follow Him and listen to His voice? Another question we can ask ask ourselves is what kind of comfort do we need to receive from God? As I was thinking about this this topic and reading these scriptures, I wrote down a list of all the things that impact or should impact our lives as we think about that God fully knows us. And as I was doing research and, and reviewing this list, comfort, being comforted, kept coming to mind. And now I've already mentioned comfort, that God knowing us fully should bring us comfort. And this is where I want to turn to Psalm 139. So if you turn with there with me, this communicates beautifully how He knows us and comforts us. So Psalm 139. Some of you know it well. I'm going to read... Uh, to verse 12. It says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay Your hand upon me Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And he continues and he says uh, some passages you may be familiar with. For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Earlier this month, my grandpa passed away. He was 86 years old. 
And we've been cleaning out his home, uh, going through a lot of uh, all of his things and uh, figuring out who's taking what and, and where things are going. Um, I was tasked last weekend with cleaning out his bedroom. And as I was uh, cleaning and organizing all the little areas in his room, you know, the nightstand drawer, the sock drawer, the little medicine cabinets, all the little places that are thing, you know, you have things in your home, um, what I would find is pictures of us grandkids in all these little areas. So even as he was doing something as mundane as putting on socks, he would see us and think of us. And that brought me comfort to know he was thinking about me. Even when I couldn't feel it, he was thinking about me. This is a nice picture. And, and God, not just in those moments that he's reminded as if he needed to be reminded about you, but always he has the capacity and he is always thinking about you, fully knowing you every moment. And even in the process of mourning the loss of my grandpa and celebrating his life, God is comforting me. He knows and sees my pain and my hurt and my loss. He knows how deep these run for me and how to comfort me because He knows me. When I doubt myself or experience fear and freeze up, I should be able to take comfort because He knows the root of that. He knows my thoughts and my heart and my attitude. When I laugh, love life, enjoy my family and my work, God fully and deeply knows what that joy and significance means in my life. When I'm tired and worn down, God knows me. He knows what I need. He knows what recharges me. This should bring us comfort, that He knows us completely. John Piper said, said it this way, deeper than knowing God is being known by God. What defines us as Christians is not most profoundly that we have come to know Him, but that He took note of us and made us His own. That should bring you comfort to know that God has made us His own. So what are you going through where you need comfort? What darkness of night is surrounding you where God can make it as bright as day? Like Psalm 139 says, and bring comfort. I started thinking about all these things that Jesus knows, and uh, I wrote, uh, started writing down different thoughts. So hopefully this can be an encouragement to you. Um, uh, Jesus knows. Jesus knows the questions of the Pharisees. Jesus knows the woman at the well. Jesus knows Matthew's insecurities. Jesus knows Judas's intentions. Jesus knows Thomas's doubts. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus, Jesus knows Nathaniel's character. Jesus knows Mary Magdalene's boldness. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus knows your joys. Jesus knows your struggle. Jesus knows your weaknesses. Jesus knows your sin. Jesus knows your strength. Jesus knows your humility. Jesus knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of your heart. How does God need to comfort you? 
my generation and maybe even a generation younger than me uh, have this attitude, and, and maybe you've even heard these words, you can't judge me, you don't even know me. If that's the criteria, then watch out. Because, well, God knows you perfectly. And that's one of those reasons he is qualified to judge you. And if you thought about your own life and thought about all the secrets you keep and all the evil and dumb things you have done or said or saw, if you were in God's place and you were the judge, how would you objectively judge you? You might want to say, yeah, you deserve punishment. But you might also be like, I need grace and mercy too. As God knows you, which pushes you to know God, you'll see the heart of God is forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, which is found in Jesus' perfect life, death, resurrection, and one day his return. He takes the punishment. He forgives. He died so that we don't have to. And now he prays for us, encourages us to know him. He gives us joy, cheers us on, and helps us to live like we are known. I want to close uh, by looking again at John chapter 1. And this is a neat conclusion to Jesus and Nathaniel's interaction. Um, so Nathaniel answers Jesus and he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What an amazing future we have to look forward to when we understand we're fully known and seeking after to know God just like he knows us. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever 
forever worship you I can only imagine yeah I can only imagine surrounded by your glory one will my heart feel will I dance for you Jesus or in all of you be still will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, yeah, I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel, will I I can only imagine 